Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And I'm glad to see all of you and thankful for you. And I'm especially thankful for our Lord who encourages us. And as Justin said, um, this weather seems a bit trying. And pray that the Lord would encourage us this morning as we look at prayer. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And if you're using the Pew Bible, this can be found on page 1032. And I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Knock, and you will find. Sorry. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promise of good gifts. And Christ, thank you that you have secured these gifts for us through your work. And Holy Spirit, we pray now that you would come and work among us so that prayer after prayer after prayer would be offered up to our Heavenly Father and his good gifts would be dispersed to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every morning we wake up, we have the same problem. I mean, if you're like me, we have this problem. We have not yet come to understand who our Heavenly Father is. I mean, we understand who our Heavenly Father is, but we have not yet come to understand Him as we ought. And this can be manifested in all places in our life. But it is especially true in our prayer life. Our prayers reflect that we have not come yet to understand who our Heavenly Father is. Now, prayer is a vast subject, and we could talk about many things this morning, but we're going to focus on our requests, our petitions. We are people with all these kinds of needs. We have sins that need to be forgiven. We have this situation that needs wisdom. We have despair that needs hope, and so we have all these needs. And our Father says, come to me, pray, and I will answer you. But we struggle so much with prayer. We know that there's all these things that are essential to the Christian life. We have to act. We have to know our Bibles. We have to do this. And prayer is among one of the essential things that we need to do, but we struggle so much with it. We even know it's, it's not like brain surgery. You don't have to be an expert to know how to do it. John Bunyan said, prayer is kind of like this. He said, you sense your needs. You sense your needs. And then he says this, quote, prayer is a sincere, affectionate, pouring out of your heart or soul to God for the things that he has promised, unquote. Yes, Bunyan says it needs to be in Christ. It needs to be according to the word. Thankfully, we have the aid of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be in submission to God's word or God's will, but nonetheless, it is a sincere, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God 
for the things that he has promised. Why are we having so much trouble with this? Well, one reason is that we need to get to know our Heavenly Father better. And so Jesus tells us this. Your Heavenly Father acts on your petitions. Your Heavenly Father promises that he will deliver these things to you. And your Heavenly Father will give you good gifts. Jesus says, your Father acts on your petitions. He promises and he will give you good gifts. And he says, if you have a father like that, you need to pray persistently. Well, let's see how we can do that. Now, as many of you know, this passage is taken from the Sermon on the Mount. And as many theologians have pointed out, Jesus made explicitly clear what he's talking about in his sermon. We're in, we're in chapter 7, but two chapters early in chapter 5, Jesus gave this summary statement. He said, this is what my sermon is about. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then Jesus lays out for his people this whole array of commands. He said, this is the law. This is the law for my people. If you want to follow me, this is what you need to do. He, he corrects all these misunderstandings, misinterpretations, misapplications of the law and says, if you want to be my people, this is how you need to live. This is who you need to be. Well, what does he say? Jesus gives us this long list of things. He starts in the Beatitudes and he talks about the law of God and adultery and retaliating and laying up your treasures in heaven praying the Lord's Prayer and fasting and not judging your brothers and sisters, not being anxious, seeking first the kingdom of God. He gives you this whole array, all this whole list. This is what you need to be. And you get through that list and you think, who in the world can do this? Can I do this in a real life situation? Can you do this in a real life situation? Can we do this together in a real life situation? But you see, it's precisely here in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus said, one of the significant means I've given you to complete this is this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. After Jesus gives us this whole array of commands, he says, ask your Father, and he will act on your commands, on your requests, sorry. Now, you remember good King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the, the later kings in Judah. And the scripture assesses all the kings, and Hezekiah had a good assessment. He was a good king. He was faithful to the Lord. And when he came to reign, he not only brought in religious reforms, he, he reestablished the sacrifices and the, on the altar of the temple. He got rid of the sacrifices in the high places, and he reestablished the Passover. And not only did he do that, but he cut ties with Assyria. When he came to power, Judah was paying tribute money to Assyria. And Hezekiah said, we're not paying that anymore. And furthermore, Assyria had all these puppet states set up in Judah. And he said, we're going to rid the land of all of those. So he did all those great things except the scriptures say he made a major blunder. 
During his reign, Babylon was rivaling against Assyria. And Babylon knew that Hezekiah was an anti-Assyrian. And so Babylon sent an envoy or messengers from Babylon to Hezekiah to solicit his help against Assyria. And apparently, Hezekiah welcomed in this new alliance with Babylon. And what the book of Chronicles calls a moment of pride, Hezekiah took this envoy in and showed them all the treasures in Jerusalem. He brought them into the storehouse and showed them all the treasures in Jerusalem. He said, this is our gold. (laughs) You want to make an alliance with us? This is our gold. Here's all our gold. Here's all our silver. Here's all our spices. There wasn't one thing, the scriptures say, there wasn't one thing that he didn't show them. Here, here's all our precious oils. And over here, here's our armory. Now, the Lord was displeased with Hezekiah. And Hezekiah did repent, but the Lord said it's too late. He sent Isaiah, the prophet, to to him. And he said, you know what you've actually done here? You've set in motion what is going to become the Babylonian exile. They're going to come, get all our goods, and haul our, way, haul our people into exile. Now, this morning, we are dealing with good King Jesus. And he's not making any blunders here. He has no false alliances, and he has no bad motives. But what he's doing with you is he's bringing you in to the, tre- to the storehouse in heaven and showing you all the treasures that are there for you. Here is the gold of knowing God. His majesty and his glory and his honor, his omnipotence, his power. Come, come into his presence, come commune with him. This is there for you. Here is the silver of righteousness, of justice, of mercy and grace. Come and get it. You want to spice up your life? A little hope, a little joy, a little courage, a little boldness? Here. Here's our spice cabinet. Are you hurting? Are you injured? Here is all our precious oils. God is your refuge. God is your strength. God is your healer. Do you want to battle lust and pride and any kind of sin? Do you need help for the battle to advance the kingdom of God, for the edification of the church, for the salvation of souls? Here, here's my armory. I am your shield, I am your protector, says the Lord, and I will fight the battle for you. Every legitimate and good request that you have, according to the word of God, has its corresponding match in the storehouses of heaven waiting for you to come and get. And Jesus says, ask and your Father will act on your requests. Now before we get to those good gifts, we need to think about our requests. In order to get those gifts, we have to make a request. We have to make a petition. 
And so what are the very basic fundamental things that we need to remember when we're asking? When we're asking God to do something, we're asking him to change something. We're asking him to act. And what do we need to remember? Well, on the one hand, we need to remember that in our petitions, we are not seeking to change God. God is immutable, unchangeable. His plan and his design for history is set and it cannot be altered. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, God works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, I make known the beginning to the end, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. We are not going to break up or interrupt God's plan for the world through our prayers. And we need to have this truth undergird our petitions. We are not seeking to change God. On the other hand, our petitions are ordained as a way to move God into action. How is God going to carry out this plan? Well, partially through our prayers. Our prayers are ordained as part of how history unfolds. They're going to motivate our Father to act. And we need to have that truth undergird our petitions, that our petitions are a way that God has ordained to move, to move him into action. You remember Exodus 32? Israel has aroused God's anger, and God is going to wipe them out. And, and Moses prays. He says this, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And then God answered his prayer. He turned away his anger and showed mercy. But we need to remember that Moses did not amend the plan of God. This is not a surprise to God this, is not, this didn't catch God off guard. And it didn't ask God to do something he had not planned to do. Yet the text shows that God uses your prayers significantly to do meaningful things in the world and in people's lives. We are not to resign ourselves that God is going to do what God is going to do. God's immutability, his unchangeability, and his sovereignty are not a couch that we sit on to watch the whole thing go by. It is what it is? <laughs> no. It is what it will be when our prayers are done with it. God uses your prayers to do powerful, significant things in the world. And know this, when Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, this is not a condition, this is, these are not conditional sentences, like if you ask, you'll receive, if you seek, you will find. These are commands. It's very clear in the underlying language that these are commands. And Jesus is commanding you to pray because your Father acts on your request. And that's our first point. Your Father acts on your, on your, on your requests, and therefore you must persistently ask him. Well, let's look back at these two verses, verse 7 and 8. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, we've looked at those verses from the perspective of our petitions, but we need to look at them from a different angle. 
And I want you to harness up all the attention you can muster at this point. And I want you to do this so you can grasp this. This is Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, with all his glory and with all his power and with all his might in control of all providence, saying to you, I promise that you will get it. I promise that you will get it. Does that not make you want to pray? In Genesis 3.15, God promised Adam and Eve the gospel, and he did it. If he can control all of providence so that it happens, can he not meet your needs? In Genesis chapter 12, he promises Abraham that a great nation would come from him, from his offspring. He's done it. He's doing it in Christ. If he can do that, can he not meet your needs? 2 Samuel chapter 7, an everlasting dynasty is going to come from the throne of David. It's Christ. If he can do something everlasting, can he not meet your needs? Come, let us reason together. Jesus Christ himself is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. He is promise, capital P. He is promise telling you what a promise is. He's giving you this promise. He's promise telling you a promise. And here Jesus promises that your requests will be fulfilled. I want you to listen to a quote from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones and what he said about these verses. Quote, I cannot imagine a more cheering or more comforting statement with which to face all the uncertainties and hazards of our life in this world of time than that contained in these verses. It is one of those great, comprehensive, and gracious promises which can only be found in the Bible. There is nothing that can be more encouraging as we face life with all its uncertainties and possibilities, our future all unknown. In such a situation, this is the essence of the biblical message from beginning to end. This is the promise that comes to us. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And in order that it might be quite clear, we might be quite certain about this. Our Lord repeats it and puts it even in stronger form. He says, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be opened. There is no doubt about it. It is quite certain. It is an absolute promise. And what is more? It is a promise made by the Son of God himself, speaking with all the fullness and authority of his Father. End quote. If we have such a strong promise, why are we having such difficulty? Is it our motives, our expectations? Is it our experience in prayer? We pray and God doesn't answer our prayer. Well, in order to make some headway in this, we need to clarify a few things. We need to know who this promise is for and what is not being promised here. We need to remember that this promise is not for everyone. It is not. If Jesus Christ is not your Savior, this promise is not for you. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. No request comes to the Father except through me. But if that is you, I would ask you to consider this. 
you are already dependent upon God for everything. You can't take a breath without him. Come with your needs to him by first confessing your sins, being forgiven in Christ, and these promises will be for you, but not until then. But if you are a Christian, we need, too, to recognize some things. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we are asking with wrong motives. The book of James makes clear that we can ask at times out of greed and not need. And it would be very, very helpful for us to consider contentment in our lives. But there's all kinds of other situations. Say in a moment of anger or a season of anger, you're angry at your brother and sister. And you, you, you pray that God would harm them. God's not going to answer that prayer. He's never going to harm his people. So we need to keep an eye on our motives. They can be a source of unanswered prayer. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we don't know what we need. I mean, we think we know what we need, but we don't know what we need. In other words, our requests don't match our needs. You know, our brothers and sisters can see all kinds of needs in us that we can't see. But how much more is that true with God? And sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask because he's protecting us. Or maybe he, you know, he, he knows better. I mean, he doesn't know better, but in a certain situation, he knows better. He knows what we need. And so we need to rely on his goodness. If you pray to him, he's going to answer with what you really need. He's not going to discard the prayer totally. And so... Asking for things against our needs is another source of unanswered prayer. So we need to keep an eye on these things. But with those qualifications in place, we put up some guardrails or some hedges around what this text is not saying. But we need to take the next step. This, this passage is actually saying something completely positive, that God promised to answer your prayers. What's the dictionary, what's the dictionary de definition of prayer? Or, or promise, sorry. Here's a dictionary definition of promise. It's a declaration by one person to another that something will or will not be done, giving the person to whom it is made the right to expect the performance of whatever has been specified. So, is that biblical? Can you expect God to perform something for you? You know, in all of our talk about entitlement, these people think they're entitled and these people think they're entitled. Well, is there kind of like a biblical entitlement? Don't get me wrong, but yes, there is. You, a lowly sinner, saved by grace, undeserving, now are entitled to what God has promised because of what Christ has done for you, because of who he is, because he's your mediator, because he's your savior, because he loves you, because of all these things. You are entitled to the promises that God has given you. No, 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 no. Never demanding, never irreverent but nonetheless entitled to these promises. It is a strange mercy, isn't it? 
that God has shown upon us. Our Father has promised to answer our prayers, and Jesus said, you must pray persistently. In our first point, we saw that because our Father acts on our prayers, we must pray persistently. And in the second point, we have seen that since God promised to give, we must pray persistently. And now we're going to look at his good gifts and see why that is a reason to pray persistently. So in this third and last point, we meet with the crux of the matter, our knowledge of God. How well do we know our God? How do our prayers reflect our knowledge of God or our lack of knowledge of God? Jesus tells us this, our Father is good. God is good. He gives good gifts because he is good. He cannot be or do otherwise than that which is good. And he's not only our Father who is good, but he's our Father who is in heaven. Where is your God, they say? Our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. And it pleases him to do good. And he's not only our Father who is good and our Father who is in heaven, he is our Father that knows how 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 to give. God has the skill of knowing how to give. And I don't just mean the cognitive capacity, but he knows how to deliver the goods. And he's not only our Father who is good, our Father who is in heaven, and our Father who knows how to give, but he actually will deliver good gifts. And we're going to look at those in a minute. But here, Jesus gives us the incentive and the motive and the encouragement and the confidence to pray persistently. This is the truth that we are being told. Our good Father in heaven knows how to give, and he will give good gifts when we ask. Look at the last few verses with me, starting at verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus appeals to our hearts like this. He says, your Father likens his love and his concern for you just as a father for his children. People say that, you know, God has placed in the hearts of parents a compassionate inclination to give their children supplies according to their needs. And Jesus says that, These children near the Sea of Galilee, when they would ask their father for the most common foods of bread and fish, their father wouldn't give them a stone and a snake. No, even parents that have evil dwelling in them, they have sin dwelling in them, know how to give what is suitable and good to their kids. And then Jesus uh, takes the lesser to the greater argument. He says that if that's so, how much more Does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you when you ask? How much more? Now, some of you are going to have to keep in mind that this little saying of Jesus is a proverb. And just like all the rest of the proverbs, this proverb is true in many cases and not in all. You know, train up your child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he will not depart from it. That's that's not a promise. That's not how you read the Proverbs. It's not a promise. 
And given the world we live in, you may have experienced abuse or abandonment at the hand of your earthly father. You may have said, you know what? My dad did give me a stone and a snake, metaphorically maybe. But I would urge you to keep in mind that this passage should comfort you. You now have a heavenly father. He will not abuse you. He will not hurt you. And he loves you and he cares for you. And you can trust in him. We have a father who knows how to give good gifts. And he will give good gifts. So what good gifts does God have for us? And how does he get them to us? Well, think back about that storehouse in heaven. What exactly is in that storehouse? Well, in a word, it is God himself. He is our good gift. Yes, he does give good spiritual and material gifts, but we need to remember that he himself is the greatest gift. He gives himself as our refuge. He gives himself as our comfort, as our strength. Whenever we receive material or spiritual gifts, he manifests himself through those gifts. The giver is the gift as well. So how would you shape your petitions when you ask for good gifts? Well, a helpful way to shape our petitions is around our Father's attributes because that's what he's delivering in his good gifts. God has communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. His communicable attributes are things that belong to God but also we can share through the work of the Holy Spirit, like truth and grace and mercy and love. That is part of the storehouse there for us. But God also has incommunicable attributes, qualities that only belong to him, like he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and he's present everywhere. And that's another part that's in the storehouse for us. And all these attributes are good, and God will use them for our good. He will act towards us in both his communicable and incommunicable attributes to make sure that we get the bread and the fish. But we also get him in them. And therefore, we address them on the basis of his attributes. So what would this look like? Say there's a situation you need the communicable attribute of wisdom. James says, ask for wisdom and God will give it liberally. God will share his wisdom with you. You have this situation, you, gotta, you have all these factors to put together. You need to put them in a good design for a good end. God gives you his wisdom. But as you're looking at that, you realize, I need something way beyond my own capacity. I need somebody to reveal to me the things that I'm actually missing. Somebody all-knowing. I need somebody that's all-powerful to make sure that plan is not thwarted. Somebody that's present everywhere. And so you call upon God in his, his incommunicable attributes. You ask him to work with those on your behalf. And so we receive the good gift of him. Whenever we receive material or spiritual gifts, we get God himself. He gives himself to us, and we recognize him in his works. We get to know his wisdom. We understand his omniscience and his omnipresence and his omnipotence. We feel that. 
That is what is in the storehouse of heaven waiting for you to come and get. It is God himself. And the need of your situation depends on which attributes you call on God to deliver. And then he delivers himself. Jesus says that you have a father that knows how to give and will good gifts. And therefore, you must pray persistently. And so we, saw, we have seen that first, our father acts on our prayers. Second, that he promises to meet them. And third, that he will give us good gifts. And because of all these things, we need to pray persistently. As we close this morning, we need to come back to where we started, the knowledge of our Father. And I'd urge you to see that knowing God gives us confidence and encouragement to pray. We are not to think of prayer as some meaningless ritual but it actually gets things done. Our Father is going to act, your Father is going to act for you. Nor does God want us to be cold and calloused regarding your needs or, you know, or others' needs. Suck it up. No, these needs have their corresponding match in the storehouses of heaven ready for you. Nor do we need to see our situations as some stony, snaky thing that God has given us. No, they're according to our need. God has given out of his goodness. Neither do we need to sit in bewilderment or worry and mental exhaustion trying to do God's job for him. He's actually going to get us the bread and the fish through his multifaceted attributes. And in every need that we encounter is an opportunity to get God himself. Knowing God gives us confidence to pray and encouragement to pray. So I want to leave you with something else that John Bunyan said. He gives us encouragement from Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 11. Bunyan says this, quote, The Lord speaks a parable of a man that went to his friend to borrow three loaves, who, because he was in bed, denied him. Yet for the sake of importunity, he did arise and give him clearly signifying that poor souls, though through their weakness and faith, cannot see that they are friends of God. Yet they should never leave off asking, seeking, and knocking at God's door for mercy. Their poor heart cries out that God will not regard them. They hear God saying, trouble me not. But I say to you, continue knocking, crying, moaning, and bewailing yourself. Because you are his friend, he will arise and give you as many as you need. Listen, friends of God. Our Father acts on your requests. He promises to meet them and he will give good gifts. And because we have a Father like that, let's trust in Christ's command and pray persistently. Let's pray. Our dear Father, we... Thank you now that who you, for who you are, that you are this great and awesome God that can fulfill every need because of your communicable and incommunicable attributes. And we would just ask that you might come and work amongst us so that we might see your glory through your good gifts. And thank you, Christ, for securing this promise for us. And Holy Spirit, for doing this great work where we can see the gifts, receive them, and glorify our Father.
Amen.